All right, I believe that we are ready to begin. Welcome to the National Capital Bible Church, and specifically for our study this evening of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 18. It's been a couple weeks since we have been in Deuteronomy, uh, mostly because we haven't been here. So we're now returning to Deuteronomy 18. The Lord is my light and my deliverance. Whom shall I fear? Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. Be of good courage. And he shall give you the strength in your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. We have a few seconds here for spiritual preparation as we prepare for our study this evening. And it's your opportunity now, closing your eyes, bowing your heads, and if you're at home, that you have the opportunity for confession of sin or simply uh, settle down and prepared to focus the Word of God. So let's close our eyes, bowing our heads, and then I'll, a few seconds, I'll begin our service. Dearly Father, we're thankful for the opportunities that we have to study the Word of God, your Word that brings us tranquility, comfort, and assurance that you first are with us and also that you are providing for us. We pray, Father, for uh, particularly tonight for uh, little baby Braden, uh, Brady, We know that uh, he has been struggling now probably for five weeks to stabilize. And we do pray for that, Father. We're thankful for the medical uh, professionals that are helping him. We pray for their wisdom and their uh, skill as they are trying to bring the situation, Father, to a more situation where he as the baby can begin to grow. We also pray for the family with Trent and Lauren. It's been uh, quite a while uh, as they have been watching their their baby. And we pray, Father, that they'll uh, continue to lean on you and that their faith will be strengthened, Father, as they realize that you love that baby. You love them even more than they do. And so we know that your provision is for the baby and for them as well. Father, uh, we're thankful that we have the Word of God this evening in Deuteronomy 18. We pray that we'll understand uh, not only how it applied to Israel, but how it applies to us and what we learn from this. And we begin to apply what we're learning. We ask for your blessing for us this evening. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one of the things I've asked, I like to do periodically, is to have a video. And this evening, I've asked how to bring uh, one of five videos 
uh, tonight we'll have one and then probably follow in the uh, weeks. But uh, this evening is a Prego University, Prager Universal, Universal uh, University uh, video, video. And so I'll ask uh, Hal to come forward and let's see how that's what it has to say for us. Thank you, Hal and Prager University. One of the things that we must acknowledge is that God is the creator. He is the one who has established the laws of science. Of science. And we simply are discuss, dis, uh, discovering what God has done. And sometimes we miss it, and sometimes we don't. So it's important for us to understand who the Lord is, what he has done, and we can be very conf- confident that God is providing for us, knowing everything that is that is occurring. All right, this evening we are in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Let me begin here with the book of Deuteronomy. We've studied the first uh, 11 chapters. We've worked our way through 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. And tonight we're going to be in chapter 18. Uh, We're seeing the development of the covenant fellowship. And we've seen this beginning in uh, chapter 12, verse 1. And we're we're traveling our way through chapter 26 through 19. Tonight, of the various points, tonight we are the instruments of theocracy. And uh, the last portion of this because this is 1618 through 1822. And tonight we are studying, well, first of all, we've seen the judges and the officials. We've also seen the kings from 17 through 1420. Tonight we're, we will be seeing the leadership of the priests and the Levites, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And then also, also the prophets, chapter 18, 9 through 22. Uh, I'll split the prophets, 18, uh, chapter uh, 18, 9 uh, through, I think it's 13, 14, as a sort of a parenthesis as we go from the priests to the prophets. All right. Before we read, begin our reading in chapter 18, let me give a little bit of background here. The tribe of Levi was divided into three families. First on, the first one was Gershon. We also had Kohath and also Merai. Each division originally had different responsibilities regarding the tabernacle. And we studied this in uh, Numbers 3 and 4. The Kohathites 
were further divided into those who were descendants of Aaron and those who were not. So we have some in this Levi tribe. It's going to be the Levites, but they're going to be split between the priests and those who are not priests, and they just continue to be known as the Levites. Only the the descendants of Aaron were committed to serve as priests. They were generally referred to as the priests, or they're also called the sons of Aaron. The rest of the tribe, those not serving as priests, were designed as Levites, simply called Levites. Thus, priests were a minority in the tribe of Levite. The Levites served as ministers to the priests. So, even though they're separated within the tribe, the Levites served for the priests. So they they served the Levites served as ministers to the priests and in general as teachers of the law in Israel. In Israel, the priests officiated at the tabernacle and also had other duties. We'll see that they served as judges. They were guardians of the the scrolls of the law. They were teachers of regulations concerning skin disease. Uh, That's one of the things that uh, when someone had a uh, an illness, let's just say it was a skin problem, they would go to the Levites, and the Levites then would make a decision whether it was unclean, they were unclean because of it, or if they were still clean. And so that was part of the Levites, another one of their jobs that they had to, to take care of. And they also had assistance to Moses in the covenant renewal ceremony. All right, let's read our first section here, which is from Deuteronomy 18.1 through chapter 8. I'll probably just read from, I'll probably break this into three sections as well. The first section we have is one verses 1 and 2. The priests, the Levites, all the tribe of Levi, shall have no part, no inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his portion. Therefore, they shall have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance, as he said to them, to the Levites. Okay, so our section here on verses 1 and 2 tell to us about the the tribe of Levi. But it tells us that there is a separation within that. So verse 1 says, The priests, the Levites, all the tribe of Levi, shall have no part. And I think the part here that we can understand there is, has the harvests that they would have. And we'll focus on that a little bit more as we go. Then they also had no inheritance, so they didn't have land. They didn't have land within Israel. 
says they shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his portion. In other words, when the animals, the grain, the wine, the oil sacrifices are offered during the feasts, certain parts of the sacrifices were specifically given to the priests. And we'll see that as we move in verses 3 and and continue. Uh, Verse 2 says, Therefore, they shall have no inheritance among their their brethren. The Lord in their inheritance, the Lord is their inheritance, as he said to them. Uh, Unlike the others, so here we are, just a few thoughts. Unlike the other 11 tribes, None of the Levites, included the priests, was given an allotment of land to settle and cultivate. So this is the uh, separation between the Levites and the other, other tribes. However, 48 cities were set aside for the Levites, and we studied that in Numbers 35. The priests and the Levites, who assisted them, at the central sanctuary were to be sustained by the people's offerings made in the Lord, uh, made uh, offerings made to the Lord. The Levites, who did not assist at the central sanctuary, were to be sustained by gifts from the people at the cities where they served. So the Levites did only serve in uh, later on, Jerusalem, but they served throughout the nation. Also, unlike the other tribes, the Levites did not have a land inheritance in Canaan. They were to regard God as their inheritance. In other words, they had a special relationship with God that would be better than any grant of property. Obviously, the Levites enjoyed the benefits of the land surrounding these uh, uh, these villages that were given to them. They had about a thousand uh, yards beyond that, but it was really not enough for them to support their families and the responsibilities that they had. Verse 3, and this should be the priest's, do or his part from the people, from those who offer a sacrifice, whether it's a bull or sheep, they shall give to the priest the shoulder, the cheeks, or we might call them jowls, and the stomach. These individual, these parts, were considered as choice parts of the animals. Uh, I don't know if that's still um, something that we would understand today. But at that time, uh, it was the choice parts. Verse 4, the first fruits of your grain and your new wine and your oil and the first of the fleece of your sheep, you shall give him, meaning the priest. Verse 5, for the Lord your God has chosen him, the priest, out of all your tribes to stand to minister in the name of the Lord, him and his son, sins, sons forever. In other words, we would fi- not find priests coming from any other um, tribes, nor would we find 
priests coming from the Levites. They had to come specifically from the family of Aaron. The New Testament epistles, excuse me, the people were responsible for supporting the priests who officiated at the central sanctuary. The priests were to receive parts of the bulls and the sheep that were sacrificed. The first fruits of grain, new wine, oil, and first wood, uh, wool. So this was, they were given the best of the animals, the harvests, and from the, uh, the wool. This was because God had chosen Aaron and his descendants out of all the tribes to stand and minister in Lord's, in his name, that is, on his behalf. Now, in the New Testament, the New Testament epistles broadened the priesthood to include all Christians. In other words, in 1 Peter 2.9, the priesthood was not simply to a few individuals, but the entire believers, Christians, all Christians, were known as priests. We were priests. The reason for this is that Jesus Christ, by virtue of his ministry, his death and his resurrection, superseded the uh, Aaronic priesthood of the old or the Mosaic covenant and became the high priest of the new covenant. That's, therefore, we are priests and the Lord Jesus Christ is the high priest. Every Christian has come into the family of Jesus, uh, has come into the family of Jesus, and therefore into Jesus' priestly uh, line. As we read these verses regarding the requirements for peace, priests and Levites, we realize that there are several lessons taught by these requirements. And I have made four of these for us. First of all, the people learned respect for those who taught them and served them in their sacrificial and religious needs. So this is how the people learned respect. Secondly, it taught the people to be gracious in giving to the priests and the Levites who did not have the same prosperity that the people would have from their property. So the Levites would not have that same blessing. The blessing would come to the people, and then they would give graciously to the priests and the Levites. Third, being able to give according to the the requirements taught them to be dependent upon God dependent upon God to provide the sacrifice which they could then give to the priests and Levites, which were also a part of God's sacrifices. In other words, they understood that in order for them to give to the priests and the Levites, God had to graciously give them because not only would they be able to support themselves, but they would be able to prove, to uh, support the Levites to include the priests. And then fourth, the same is applied to us today. 
God provides to us so we can give to him. And I like to call that is uh, it is uh, reciprocal to from us to God. So these are things in for us to, to understand. Verses 6 through 8. So if a Levite comes from any of, of your uh, gates, another way to understand that is sites, uh, cities. Now, verses 6, 7, and 8 uh, is a little bit different than what we saw from uh, verses 1 through 5. So now 6, 7, and 8 is a bit, we might call it a section that is a little bit inserted. Uh, it's inserted. Verse, verse 6. So if, so if a leave, uh, uh, leave, so if, if a, so if a, a Levite comes from any of your gates or towns from where he dwells among all Israel, and comes with all the desire of his mind to the place which the Lord chooses, which we'll see later that's going to be Jerusalem. Verse 7, Then he may serve in the name of the Lord his God, as all his brethren the Levites do, who stand there before the Lord. They shall have equal portions to eat beside what comes from the sale of his inheritance. If a Levite wanted to go to the central sanctuary to minister there in the Lord's name, in other words, on his behalf, on his behalf, he was permitted to do so and to receive equal support along with other Levites. So he was some had been working in other tribes, but he would love to serve in Jerusalem to the uh, to the temple or the tabernacle the tabernacle this does not imply that this levite would minister as a priest as some have suggested the levites were to assist the priests even though a levite was received uh, even though a levite had received money from the prior sale of his family possession before moving to Jerusalem he was to receive support for his work at the sanctuary. He was he would become a Levite uh, in the uh, in Jerusalem, just as he had served anywhere else. Paul restated this principle for the New Testament church. In other words, he was saying that uh, whoever was serving the Lord would be able to be perdent. Verse eight. In other words, many Levites were scattered throughout the land to serve the tribes where their families had been assigned. There are 48 cities where their, uh, the Levites were assigned. They had responsibilities in those tribes, such as teaching. But if one of them earnestly desired to serve the tabernacle, that was pers- uh, tabical, was possible. Verse 9, we're going to begin the prophets. The prophets, uh, verses 9 through 22. And 
verses 9 through 14 is really an insert about wickedness. Wickedness. Verse 9 through 14. 9. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the the wickedness, abominational, of of those nations, Canaanites. Now, uh, beginning in chapter 10, Moses is going to list nine nine examples of abomination or wickedness, verses 10 through 11. Ten. First, they shall not be found among you any uh, anyone who makes. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. In other words, child sacrifice. Secondly, one who practices uh, witch uh, witchcraft which was another understanding of divination, speaking uh, of gods, for gods. Third, a soothsayer. Uh, This is a fortune teller, another uh, word there. Fourth, one who interprets omens, uh, interpreting by signs. Five, a sorcerer, magic, casting spells, and having different ways of approaching gods. In chapter 11, or verse verse 11, 6, one who conjures spells, in other words, controlling magic. 7, a well a, a medium contact, contacting demons. 8, a spirist. It would be the uh, contacting spirits which we would probably call demons. Or the fine nine, one who calls up, who contracts, contacts the dead. So 12, for all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. 13, you shall be blameless, righteous, before the Lord your God. 14. For these nations, you will uh, dispose, for these nations, which you will dispose, listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such, meaning wickedness, for you. All right, just some thoughts here. In these verses, all the forbidden forbidden practices, also called uh, detestable ways of the of the, the nations in the land, dealt with either foretelling the future or magic. By the use of magic, one attempted to uh, manipulate or force the gods into certain courses of action. So they would try to say that they could inf- uh, uh, find ways to use gods to serve them. 
Child sacrifice was mentioned here because it was used either as a means of foretelling or as magic to manipulate certain events. All these practices are forbidden because they uh, divorce life from reality. So instead of just living a normal life uh, with God uh, providing for them, they believe that they would somehow find a way to um, move away from reality. Several factors make this clear. The future was determined by one's moral behavior, not by by, uh, magical uh, manipulation. In other words, the the behavior, the situations that we we would encounter uh, was not going to change simply because of these magical manipulations. Secondly, using magic to manipulate to manipulate one's circumstances when in essence was in essence a futile attempt to flee to circumvest God from the Lord's ethical laws which promoted life and blessing. Third, the use of magic and divination was a a refusal to to acknowledge the sovereignty of the Lord. In other words, if we decided to use magic or trying to approaching de- demons, um, these spirits, uh, it was a way to, uh, uh, to refuse the acknowledge of the sovereignty of, Lord, of the Lord. Fourth, reliance on these practices indicated a, a corresponding failure to trust the Lord with one's life. People who are knowledgeable of the occult or the demon possession quickly say that the practices mentioned in verses 9 and 14 have led many into satanic satanic bondage. In other words, if we were to use any of these nine uh, points that uh, Moses lifted, uh, listed, it was uh, a way to lead them into demon possession. All right, verse 15. Verse 15 is the last portion of this, our section this evening. We'll read from fifth, verse 15 through uh, 19. And then we'll see 20 through, uh, through 22. All right. Verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for your, uh, will raise up for you a prophet like me. This was Moses speaking. Uh, raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him who shall hear. In other words, um, saying here that there would be a prophet that was going to uh, replace Moses and you should hear him. The word here shall, you shall hear, but it's the Hebrew word shema, which can mean 
to hear, to listen, or obey. And here, I think, obey is probably one of the better words. Uh, him you shall obey. According to all you desire, you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb, Mount Sinai, in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die, lest I die. In other words, Moses was the mediator, and they didn't want to stand uh, stand there and uh, be feared, uh, frightened, be frightened by the fire at Mount Sinai. And so they said, we'll let uh, Moses um, stand and listen to the Lord. So there would someday be a prophet that that followed Moses. Verse 17, And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. The word here, tov, in the heave, can mean can be well, it can be valid or true. So what they have spoken is true. 18. I will rise up, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Now, the pronouns here in these verses are important because the Trinity is participating. So let's read 18 again, and I'll identify these pronouns. I is God the Father. So in verse 18, I, God the Father, will raise up from them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their from. Uh, from among their brethren and will put my God the Father's words in his. His is God the Son, the Messiah. It'll put words in his mouth and he, God the Son, the Messiah, shall speak to them all that I, the Father, command him, God the Son. So understanding how these um, pronouns are used, we can see that God the Father and God the Son, and we know that God the Holy Spirit is also um, uh, creating these verses. Verse 19, And it shall be that whoever will not hear my, this is God the Father's words, which he, God the Son, the Messiah, speaks in my name, God the Father's name, I will require it. In other words, be responsible of him. And the him, finally, we get to man, uh, to mankind. So here we have this, we could say this is sort of a, an understanding of what God the Father is doing. He's going to do it through God the Son, through the uh, Messiah, and if they're not obedient, then he will uh, require them being responsibility uh, for being responsible, not being uh, obeyed. 
Now, the ultimate prophet, like Moses, is Jesus Christ, the one who spoke God's words and who provides deliverance for his people. Not even Joshua could be compared to Moses, for since Moses, in in quotes, no prophet has risen in, in Israel like him. And we see that in Deuteronomy 34. So no prophet has risen in Israel like him with such power before men and intimacy intimacy with God. So uh, Moses is going to be, there will be a a place for uh, someone who will replace him. But even this prophet is going to be greater. However, God, um, however, distinguished a future prophet, uh, prophet's role might be in Israel. None would be like Moses until the mediator of the new covenant, Jesus Christ. And he came uh, as this prophet. He was caused not only the the Messian king, but he was also a prophet. Moses set standard for uh, Moses set the standard for every future prophet. Each prophet was to do his best to live up to the example of Moses until the one came who would introduce the new covenant. During the first century, the official leaders of Judaism were still looking for the fulfillment of Moses' prediction. In other words, there had been many prophets that followed Moses, but all the um, the leadership of, of of Israel were still looking for this prophet. Peter said their search should have stopped with the Lord Jesus. So that who this prophet was. Verse twenty. Verse 20, the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name. So here we are. This is the the prophet who uh, was in verse 20 is Moses. So the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, in God's name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, the prophet shall die. Verse 21. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When? How do we know that? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. All right, so here we have a test on uh, whether we have a true prophet. And it says that uh, here in verse 22, uh, when the prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that's the thing which the Lord has not spoken. So if he says, uh, I'm speaking for God, 
But if God has not spoken, then he is a false prophet. Verses 20 through 22, a few points here. Since the people were to obey God's prophet without question, to prophesy falsely was in effect to use, to usurp the place of God. In other words, you would be speaking for God. For this, the false prophet was to put to death. Now, there are two tests here that we find in Deuteronomy. Two tests could be used to determine whether a prophet was speaking God's words. First, the prophet's message had to be in accordance with God and his word. If he spoke in the name of other gods, then he contradicted the the revealed word of God and therefore was a false prophet. Secondly, his prophecy must come true. If neither of those conditions was met, then no matter how powerful the would-be prophet seemed to be, the people were not to be afraid of him or of any reprisals he might protect against them. Now, let's look at these two tests because they're very uh, easy to understand. First of all, in Deuteronomy 13. Turn to Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5. In Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5, if there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of the prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk, uh, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve, you shall worship him and hold fast to him. In other words, be devoted. Verse 5. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk, so you shall put away from the evil from your midst. All right. The the first test here in uh, Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5, we can call a theological, uh, a theological consistency. What a prophet says cannot contradict previous revelation. So if you understand the revelations, then you can't have a prophet appear who says something uh, that is, uh, that is uh, that's a contradiction. The prophet may accompany his message with miracles, signs, and wonders, but miracles do not 
make the profit. His message is what is important. The results was to be to be to be put to death because God protected the truth that had come from him. So that's the situation that we have here. They may somehow be have that power and it could very well be uh, a demon or have a way that seems to have a uh, signs and wonders. But if they're if uh, what they say is not uh, if it co- uh, contradicts what the, what you already know, then he's a false uh, false prophet. Now, back in Deuteronomy eighteen, in verses twenty through twenty two, we read again. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, in other words, as I'm speaking for God, I'm speaking for the Lord which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing which the Lord has not spoken, the prophet has spoken, it's presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. So the second test is a test of, uh, of, of truth, you could say. Uh, imp- uh, empirical observation. What a prophet says must come true or come to pass. If what the prophet prophesied does not occur or is observed to be false, then the person is a false prophet. Today, if someone says, God spoke to me, they are speaking presumptuously, or we could say arrogantly, putting themselves in God's place. And so these are the two tests that Moses gave us, Deuteronomy 13 and also in Deuteronomy 18. So this is the what we're learning here about priests and O prophet and prophets. And they're I think the results help us to understand the truth that God is providing and also some applications such as the there's uh, the priests those who were teaching the word needed to be supported and when they are supported by uh, individuals God blesses them and the more he blesses them the more they're able to give let's uh, close with prayer Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to study chapter 18. And we're thankful for the lessons that are here for us. We ask, Father, that you would help us to understand what is here, what is true, and help us to apply that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.